online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Cover to Cover Open Book. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. Today I'm going to be playing you a 1994 recording of Jessica Mitford in conversation with her old friend, Peely DeLapp. By this time, these two women had been friends for over 50 years, and they decided to continue their ongoing conversation as a way for Peely to get out her story to the public on the occasion of the opening of Peely's art exhibits. Since then, Jessica Mitford has passed away, and Peely is going strong in her 90s. I give you Jessica Mitford and Peely DeLapp in 1994. Well, thanks very much for that lovely introduction. Peely and I, needless to say, have been hatting us over on the way, coming over the bridge and that. Um, And um, we're really going to have a conversation, chats to each other. Um, Hopefully, you know, lots of people in the audience will have questions, etc., of Peely. And so... Um, I thought I'd begin but, uh, with my introduction, saying how Peely and I first met. Well, it was in 1943 or thereabouts when I first came to California, and Peely was one of the first people that I was fortunate enough to meet, and I've known her ever since. I mean, what are we talking about? That must be 50 years, probably. 51. Whatever it is, anyhow. Uh, any, anyone who's. Okay, you, some people are brilliant at math, she said. <laughs> 51. But um, the point is, though, that um, immediately we got to know each other very well, and we used to sing bawdy songs. She, uh, but Peely said, for God's sake, don't sing bawdy songs tonight. <laughs> On the other hand, if there's. If there is a demand, we might do it. <laughs> but but that will be later on. But the point is that um, when I first knew Peely, she was doing these marvellous cartoons in the people's world. It was Vicky, and Vicky for Vic- Victory, I suppose, wasn't it? No, that yeah, it was idea. during the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was during the war. And um, perk people up. And the cartoons were just smashing and terribly perky and perking people up. So that's how I first knew. Now, I thought that we should start off with bits of Peely that I don't really know much about. I mean, I, I recognized her talent over the years, not just in, in the cartoon genre, but in many, many other ways, in some of her paintings and so forth, wonderful stuff. And to me, it's always frightfully interesting how people began doing anything and what the earliest age that they can remember when they started getting interested um, in Peter's case how she first you know if, uh, digging back into her earliest memory how she knew that she was going to be an artist and what, what her first experiences were as an early, as chi- in early childhood and I'm sure a lot of it comes from her father and that and so let's he- hear from Peely just that beginning part, and then we'll go on to some other. 
I didn't know I was going to be an artist. I, it was just assumed uh, because my father was an artist and uh, a, a wonderful caricaturist. It was his uh, favorite. He was a commercial artist. And the way he got his own self-expression out was to do caricatures of all his least favorite people, like William Randolph Hearst, for example, was one of his pets. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, anyway, and, and he did several... Um, uh, caricatures for the for the what was then the Western Worker before the People's World, and uh, I was just a kid then. Well, even before that, uh, when I was about oh seven or eight, I guess we used to um, draw together at restaurants on tablecloths the other people in the in the restaurant. That was great fun, and you you worked out a lot of your feelings of of concern and hostility that way <laughs> and um, so we did a lot of that and um, he taught me a great deal and, and it was just assumed that um, uh, I was I, I drew uh, because I was around him and he was drawing all the time um, so actually he gave me my first commercial job it was really funny um, I guess I was about 10 and um, he worked for McCann Erickson, which is this big advertising agency. And they wanted to, a drawing done by a little child with a very naive look to it. And I, so my father asked me to do it. And it was to be of a, a banker, a farm woman, and <laughs> a worker. And I did them all just the way the, they were supposed to be. And I had the banker holding a big bag with a dollar sign on it and everything, and he had a top hat. In those days, bankers wore top hats. What was the farmer doing? The farmer was holding a, a tined fork, a pitchfork, yeah. of course. He looked something like, you know, that famous pitchfork. And, and the this was pre yeah. that, you know. And the farm woman was just standing there. Oh, yeah. and a little schoolgirl. I insisted that there be a little schoolgirl yeah. in there because that was what I was. And she was holding a lunchbox. And then my father spoiled it all by touching up the feet <laughs> no. so that they all had a commercial artist look about them. No, what was the feet? Tell about that. Well, the feet uh, uh, had been sort of clumsily drawn by me, and he made them all <laughs> pointy and neat, you know. And he just couldn't resist. Well, he had to ink it in, you see. I'd done it in pencil. Well, did he do the face? Uh, no, the no, he, he, I, I still have the drawing. It's, have it's you? not no, where bad. Is it? Oh, I should have brought it along. Oh, Lordy, I mean, that's what I want to see. <laughs> that should be part of anyway, I got five dollars for it. That was well, my, my first. Well, that days. was a, a lot in those days. Probably like 50 and a half. Right. So that was my first drawing for sale. The very next drawing for sale was a totally different and that came as uh, calendar leaves flutter past we come to 1931 um, and I was drawing with the Blanches and with Frida how old were you then? Uh, 15 15 yeah and uh, I used to sit around well I was going to art school by that time my father had taken me out of, of regular school because I wasn't making it uh, I couldn't uh, do arithmetic or something and it was not working out so he said he would he would um, uh, he told the school authorities he would 
coach me at home in advanced mathematics and Latin and Greek. Uh-huh. And uh, that's, that's great. The, they ate it. <laughs> and so I went to art school at the age of 14, which was really... Where was that? San, in San Francisco at the California School of Fine uh, Arts, uh, which is now the... Uh, the Art Institute on you Chestnut been Street. Easily the youngest person there. I was. Yeah. I, I had most a lot people of fun. were what? In the, uh, probably oh, they were in their twenties and thirties, exactly. That sort of thing. It was kind of weird. Well, I missed did out you on. Love it though. I mean. Well, I did and I didn't. I, I I think I was missing the the whole thing that you go through with high school and all people that. People your age. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I had a lot of fun at the time and a lot of anxiety too, of course. But um, what, what sort of anxiety? What well, uh, well, I was surrounded by these old people, you know, know. <laughs> and they had all been there and done everything, yeah. and and, uh, and I, I really uh, had trouble adjusting to that. And then I was looked upon as old for my age, but uh, I really, really didn't, I didn't feel that. There, well, for about a year, and then I went to Woodstock with the Blanches. Uh, so Arnold uh, Blanche was my instructor at the, now at the you're school. Now you're fifteen, sixteen. When you, uh, when you got to Wood, Woodstock, 15. Right, 15, yeah. yeah. And um, then I, well, I went to Woodstock with the Blanche. I was, I was beginning to fall out with my parents at that point. This is the age when you start breaking away. And, and um, I, I was felt very competitive with my mother and so on. And so... Uh, they they all seem to be very pleased with the fact that I was leaving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wished me well, and uh, actually came back the following winter to New York to see how I was getting on, and and got me installed in in school in art school there at the at the Art Students League. But the first summer in Woodstock was really a, a sensational experience. Was it marvelous? Well, it was incredible, yeah. Well, I got to know all kinds of fascinating people and, and worked very hard at uh, drawing and everything and uh, painting and, and also partying and drinking and carrying on. And uh, it, it was great fun. It was, it's a great art colony and uh, still is. My daughter lives there now. <laughs> She's carrying on the tradition. <laughs> So, um, well, when you were there, back uh, to the art, I mean, what were you... Well, I, I was, I was still trying to be an artist with a capital A and do yeah. easel paintings and oil paintings and that sort of thing. And uh, I really wasn't comfortable with, with, with them uh, somewhat until I finally met a, an artist whose work I really felt akin to, and that was Reginald Marsh. And Reginald Marsh was painting and drawing exactly the kinds of things that I wanted to, namely people in action in all kinds of conditions and uh, uh, very vibrant and lusty and sexy and militant and just alive. Was he, know, was he Reginald Marsh, was, was he up there in uh, Woodstock? Uh, he came up to visit Woodstock and yeah. then I, I met him in New York and... I used to go around with him to burlesque shows and dance marathons and hang out in Coney Island. I think you had the luckiest childhood that I can dream of. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It really was. 
and uh, especially going out to Coney Island. That was uh, I used to go every weekend to Coney Island and and ride on everything and then draw things and mm-hmm. and uh, oh, hang out with the little dwarves and weird people that ran the fun houses there. You know, uh, George C. Tillyu's Steeplechase is is like a palace in my memory. It was just a wonderful place, and it had a big sign that said, Let me be a child again just for a day. <laughs> <laughs> that was the perfect place to be. I love it. And, um, and I went there with Reg sometimes, and then sometimes with my friend Louise. But you were in Paris, but what age were you? Well, oh, that was earlier on. That was, that, when you were about nine or ten? Ten, yeah. Ten. Well, my father um, had this longing to get away from commercial art, and he'd made a lot of money, at it, and so he decided he wanted to go to Paris and meet James Joyce. He'd just read Ulysses, a, a bull, um, smuggled in edition at that time, because Ulysses was... Um, Completely banned. Uh, were absolutely banned, yes, uh-huh. it was naughty. Um, so um, he was longing to meet James Joyce, and my father was a very... Um, uh, interesting guy. He, he was uh, a frustrated artist, <clears throat> fine artist, and frustrated intellectual in a way. And and he became a Marxist um, early on, not that early on, but uh, probably around the early 30s. And uh, more or less in connection with the uh, Tom Mooney case, he and my mother got very involved in the in the, trying to free Tom Mooney at that time he was under sentence of death I think um, I'm not Anyhow, quite but sure so about in Paris. anyway so so we all went to Paris and I was 10 and this was an exciting experience um, and uh, we we actually did meet James Joyce uh, my aunt, uh, my cousin Muriel was an entertainer at uh, a cabaret in Paris and uh, she was a very bold, brassy woman. And uh, so she found out where James Joyce had his lunch uh, at the Petit Trianon. And uh, so she arranged for us all to troop over there. And there was Joyce sitting in a corner at a table all by himself with an eye patch on. <laughs> he had very bad eyes. Could you remember anything about it? Yes, him? I do. I, I oh, remember go that. on. Yes. We'd love to hear that. Well, so... Uh, my cousin Muriel went over to him and said, Hello, I'm Muriel Johnston, and I want you to meet my uncle, Wes DeLapp. <laughs> and so, so um, over Wes went and sat down. And we, well, we weren't part of that no, conversation, that, yeah. uh, naturally. So they, they sat and chatted for a while, and we all sat at the other end of the room and and waited for whatever was going to happen next, and that was really nothing happened <laughs> next. So you had no conversation with him? No, I'm yeah. sorry to say I can't say that I ever conversed with him. I just met him. You just know. had it work. Like, right. Yeah. And then, but he did promise to come to the Boeuf sur le Trois the next night, and, and he did. This was this great little nightclub. It's, I guess it's fairly famous. It's, it was a little tiny room with mirrors all around, and... And uh, a bar, of course, and uh, tiny tables, and the piano with a with a, a lamp on which lay a small marmoset, which was my cousin Muriel's pet, uh, Mickey. Uh, well, he he lay there because people kept giving him martinis. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was really in bad shape. He fell off the lamp once and broke his leg. Yeah. Uh, we got a, a monkey. Uh, my mother had to have one also as soon as she met Mickey. So we had to get a monkey, too, named Bibi. And uh, so Muriel and Dottie were running around Paris with these pet monkeys and their furs. You know, there was really quite a scene. <laughs> but um, everybody seemed to have a marvelous time in Paris. All I remember is that I rolled a hoop in the Tuileries and I saw a lot of surrealist uh, exhibits got acquainted with say, the surrealists. I was going to ask you whether I mean the art in Paris uh, must have yeah, made a huge impression yeah, very much so and especially uh, a lot of, of the African masks were were becoming very popular oh, right, and yeah. discovered at that time my father got a lot of photographs of them and um, so I saw a lot of those and I saw a lot of um, uh, paintings of African people by a, a dear, God, I can't remember his name, he's a Russian artist um, that impressed me a lot at the time and uh, we met a lot of interesting um, expatriate jazz musicians too who were friends of, of Muriel and her husband Bob and one of them taught me the Charleston, I'm pleased to say. At the age of 10? At the age of 10. I call yeah. that rather extreme. <laughs> well, the Charleston was a great dance. You had to really jump to get into it. Yeah, so we, um, I had a lot of fun then. And then, of course, that somehow made my father discover Freud. I, don't, I guess the connection was... Uh, through Sylvia Beach's bookshop and, and the the kind of people that were hanging out there. Um, oh, he hung out at Sylvia Beach's like mad. He was just enchanted with the place. He never met Hemingway, but he met a lot of other people there that I didn't meet. But he got interested in Freud. And um, so when we got back to San Francisco... He insisted that we all get psychoanalyzed. <laughs> and I was really a drag, you know. <laughs> I mean, when you're 10 years old. I know. And, you know. Uh, so every afternoon after school, I would have to go down to Mrs. Moxon's. The, my mother and father were being analyzed by Mr. Moxon. <laughs> he was not a doctor, he was a mister, but he, he had studied with Freud, but he didn't have an M.D. Uh, so he wasn't a proper psychoanalyst in that sense, but he was uh, deeply into Freud. Now, wasn't it, uh, tell about yours, in other words, Mrs. Well, Mrs. Moxon was, was an amazing woman. She was rumored to have had an affair with Adler and a kid <laughs> by him. And, uh, and uh, the little kid was trotting around while I was being psyched. I'd be lying on the couch, and the little kid would be crawling around. Oh, what, what Mrs. She? Moxon yeah. would would uh, try to evince dreams out of me, and I I really couldn't remember too many, so I made well, couldn't up. Couldn't you a make lot. them up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you have to, you know. You have to, Fifty minutes, you're lying there. You have I to know. say something, right? So. Uh, I did learn a lot about sex, though. And that was, uh, that was the best uh, part of the whole thing because my father had tried to give me, tell me the facts of life. And the way he did it was he did this drawing 
of something that <laughs> looked like a fried egg. Ooh. And then, the, then it broke into two yolks, you see. So that was the splitting of cells. God. And that's as far as he got. <laughs> so... <laughs> And I had this weird thing about what it had to do with fried eggs. I couldn't quite figure out, but that was as far as we got. So Mrs. Moxon came in very handy for that, because she filled me in on all the nitty-gritty in it. And she showed me these wonderful um, anatomical charts that you lifted up, you know. And there, there were the lungs and the heart and the uterus and the little baby inside the uterus and everything. And uh, am I talking too loud? Or? No, you'll be um, perfect. Go okay. On. And um, no, that was fascinating. <laughs> so then I would I would run back to school and to my girlfriend Elva, who was younger than I even, and uh, fill them all in on on the on the straight dope I was getting from Mrs. Moxon. And it also uh, it developed in me a real love of anatomy and drawing the figure which I've had ever since. But I can see that poor Mrs. Fast. M had a bit of a time with you. Well, In other words, she didn't quite know, as you had no dreams, she had to make the dreams. Well, but she, oh, I did do one thing. I, I used to bring drawings to her. Yeah. And they were usually fashion drawings, you know, beautiful, slim models that yeah. I had done, sort of in the style of Erte, you know, that kind of mm. thing. And always, because in those days, uh, the hip line was where things were, you know. The, there was no waistline. Yeah. It was so snapper days. Short skirt, exactly. More or less, yeah. And uh, so I always did these women with large scarves around their hips and a big oval pin right in front. And uh, that she found very significant. <laughs> <laughs> In what way? A lot of symbolism oh, there. Was a sexual symbolism uh, was all no, the rage. Dear, in those days. You must have had a good, good time <laughs> putting her on, I think. Well, uh, I did the best I could. You know, yeah, exactly. I, couldn't, I couldn't think of any dreams to speak of. Well, anyway, that, yeah. uh, that then the best part about that was, uh, and the trip from Paris was, I came back wearing very short skirts, and that was kind of exciting and shocking to the people at the. In this, I was going to a private school that, which was a very weird place. It was like uh, thirty girls and two boys, and it was run by two elderly Christian Scientist women. And the only reason it was progressive was that that it didn't um, grade you the way you got graded in regular public school. You just sort Sounds of hopeless. floated along. Well, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> And we had chess every Friday afternoon. That was one of the courses. Anyhow, so, uh, by the way, um, you're writing your, your autobiography, and I hope that all of this is going to be in it, because it's so interesting. But I want to get back to the, uh, sort of to the actual creative process, you know. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. and when you were in um, um, Woodstock, etc. Mm-hmm. By now you were almost grown up. Right. Fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I call that <laughs> a lot older than ten, right. anyhow. Okay. Well, um, I didn't really. All I was doing was painting um, in Woodstock, and doing lithographs also. Yeah. And that was a great um, experience, which I'm still doing. 
um, I learned about uh, all the artists in Woodstock seemed to do lithographs. It was a regular thing, and and we actually had a printer who lived up there who did all the printing, and that's my favorite uh, part of it is not having to do the printing uh, because it's a it's a yeah. it's an art in itself, and and um, I don't I there are very few artists who can really do proper printing of lithographs. So um, any any really high-class lithographer will tell you that. So we were all doing lithographs, and we, we had the stones, which are limestones, and we'd grind them away and and until um, they had a proper surface and then draw on them with grease, pencil, and ink, and so on. And um, many of those prints um, have turned up. Well, the weird thing that used to happen in Woodstock was that... Um, when you were invited out to dinner and there were many marvelous cooks around there, hostesses who who uh, were really super cooks, uh, Andre Ruellen's mother, Lucette, was a particularly marvelous French cook. And when you went to dinner at any of these people's houses, you took along a print. Yeah. As oh, a matter of course, you well, see, rather than flowers or wine so or anything like that. And exactly. and well, no, it's print, print, print lock. Right. <laughs> so the result is that the hostesses who still live in Woodstock have, a huge have collection. incredible collection oh, of, of really priceless prints, which I discovered uh, when I went back there a few years ago. And um, so, and and those some of my prints have turned up since in various odd places, and uh, including in in uh, art galleries in in New York. That's marvelous. I love the my, idea of that. Yeah, it's sort of like chickens coming home to roost after fifty years. Right. <laughs> I'd like to get back now, sort of fo- fast forward to um, some times that you and I did things together. But I mean, for ages, Pele was was working for a living at a place called More Business Forms, <laughs> and um, well, I mean, you, can't you know imagine. what Benji used to say what about he her son when when he was very little and heard that I was working at More Business Forms. So when do they get enough business forms? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I mean, the waste of talent of her working in more business forms is unbelievable. Uh, every time, in other words, every time you have to write, have to get a receipt, let's say, in, in a place where you're doing business, uh, you sort of think, oh dear, poor Peter, she had to do that, you know. I mean, it's all frightfully boring, just lines, isn't it? Right, and things, isn't exactly. That? And so, um, I think it was around when you were doing that that we worked together on poison, on uh, life itself and shit. Right. Yeah. It was see, a great release. It was tremendous fun for me because we were. I was writing this uh, booklet, a sort of takeoff on Communist Party jargon, and Peely turned out to be the most incredible. Um, I mean, her drawings for the whole thing just simply made it. You just heard a conversation between Jessica Mitford and Peely Delap. And to learn more about these remarkable women, you can get their books. Peely Delap, who's still going strong in Petaluma, painting and drawing, has written a book called Peely, 
a personal journey through art and the Red Press, which includes some of her artwork and is quite a fascinating story. You can also learn more about Jessica Mitford, the famous muckraker, with the new book by Peter Suskind called DECA, Letters of Jessica Mitford. And that's edited by Peter Suskind and available at most independent bookstores. Peely's book takes a little more work. You have to call her. Get out your pencils, please. 707 769 7760. That's 707 769 7760. That's Peely, A Passionate Journey Through Art and the Red Press. And I'm Nina Serrano, thanking you for listening and wishing you a very, very pleasant afternoon. Ciao. This is Peter Laufer, pleased to be filling in this Sunday for my friend and colleague Larry Bensky on Sunday Salon at 9 in the morning. I hope you'll join me and help me as we talk about immigration. I'm debating an anti-immigration advocate at Duke University later this month, and I need ammunition. We'll also talk words, Ann Coulter and her use of faggot and efforts to change the Florida state song because of Stephen Foster's use of the word darkies. That's this Sunday at 9 here on KPFA. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFB in Berkeley, 